I'm going to be looking at the uh, second chapter. Did you spill your coffee back there? Oh. Oh, okay. Have you seen this carpet? I don't think that's an issue. Hey. Yep. And at least it's better on the floor because I think one time we dumped it on one of these lovely ladies out here one time. Yeah. <laughs> Was it Lou Ann? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll be looking in First uh, uh, Samuel, uh, second chapter. Uh, if you want to go ahead and put your finger there, that's that's the passage we'll be looking at. Um, so one of the things that we've started uh, at my house before our kids go to bed, we've always read them a Bible story, um, mostly because we just feel like that puts their minds in the right uh, the right frame of ref- reference before they go to sleep. Because if we don't, we've noticed that uh, a lot of times then I have visitors in the middle of the night. Okay, So if we have a Bible story and we kind of calm down, it just goes better for us. Well, we decided that um, instead of just reading the devotional books, that it was kind of time to move towards just reading straight from the Bible. And so we've just been reading a chapter a night. And uh, it's always interesting to me that that was the reason, that's what we set up to do. And then all of a sudden, here I am feeling convictions from the stuff that I am reading to the kids, okay? And it's interesting how the Word of God works. It doesn't come back void. And so uh, what we were doing was uh, we just started reading. We started in Ruth. And uh, now we're into First Samuel, and it, it's it's funny because uh, as my wife was reading in Ruth, we got to that part, you know, where Ruth is laying at the feet of Boaz and whatnot, and she's reading along, and then all of a sudden she just kind of fades out for a minute. And obviously she was reading the next few verses to see if it was age appropriate for the kids. You know what I'm saying? I just thought that was funny. Here we are censoring the Word of God. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> but we've enjoyed it, and uh, so. Uh, what I want to talk about this morning is just some convictions from an example uh, from a man in uh, 1 Samuel, uh, when we're looking at Mr. Eli, uh, Eli the priest. Uh, he's not an example that you want to follow, but uh, there were some things in there that convicted me that's like, okay, I need to look at and, and rethink about. And I don't think it's anything new that you haven't heard, but as I was convicted, I feel maybe somebody else was convicted as well, Okay. There's just there's three things I want to look at, okay. And the first one is is that uh, if we don't act, God will, okay. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you go to Second Samuel, that second or First Samuel, that's that uh, second chapter. We're going to start in the twenty second verse. It says, "Now Eli was very old, and heard about everything his sons were doing to all of Israel, and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meetings. So he said to them." Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds you uh, these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, uh, God may mediate for that offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. So, there's a lot of things in this chapter, of course, that, that stand out to me. If you back up a little bit, what do we have? We have Hannah's prayer before she leaves Samuel there at the temple, which is always an interesting story to me, too, of, of, of how Hannah just prays for this child. She finally gets this child, and as part of keeping her promise, as soon as he's weaned, she leaves him there at the temple. And to me, that would be a pretty hard thing to do. You know what I'm saying? But she does it. And then God takes this child and makes him into this prophet, that's going to lead Israel for 
for uh, quite some time. So there's a lot of things going on. But what speaks to me is that you have this, uh, this priest, and from everything I can understand, it wasn't like he was a, a bad person. So they're not really sure why, as there was this disconnect between uh, the way he was following the Lord and then why his sons decided not to. And it's, 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 it's interesting because you'll find that kind of a theme. Because if you go and look at Samuel, Samuel had some sons, and why did Israel want a king? Because, they, because of Samuel's sons weren't doing the things that they were supposed to do. And so they were afraid to have Samuel's sons lead after Samuel died. I don't know. I just find it interesting that there's this disconnect between these men of God and then their and then their kids. And you know, as you're looking through the commentaries, they don't really have a good reason as to why uh, the sons decided to do what they did. They just they just did. And what's interesting to me is that as you look at this, Eli knew what was going on with his kids. Okay, he got the report. But there was a lot of things that were going on before that happened. Okay, I mean, they were, if you're reading there, what they were doing was they were taking their first cut of the meat before each sacrifice. And they weren't supposed to do that. They were supposed to, if I understand right, they stick a fork in there and whatever, whatever the fork got after they boiled it, that was what they got to, that's what they got to keep. And that's how the Lord was providing for, for, the, uh, for the priests and the people who were serving in the tabernacle. His sons weren't doing that. They were going in and getting the slice that they wanted before the sacrifice took place, and then they were roasting that meat the way they wanted. And the Lord was upset because not only were they causing, not only was the two sons, uh, of course, sinning, he was causing other people to sin who were coming to worship at the temple. And, of course, that did not set well with the Lord. And in the end, what happened? It cost them their lives. Okay. Uh, and not only that, the Lord ripped the entire priestly lineage away from Eli and his family and installed somebody else. And it's kind of interesting as you follow it through. Samuel was not the next one that he installed. Uh, Samuel was a Levite, so he couldn't fulfill that priestly role. Okay, He was a prophet. And later on, when in the time of David and Solomon, we have uh, Zodiac come upon, uh, come upon the scene, and that's the line that God installed from that point on. And then, of course, ultimately, what does it all lead to? It leads to Jesus dying on a cross and becoming what? Our heavenly high priest. So it's, it's interesting how it all fits together and how, you know, God's got a plan, even though it doesn't make sense to us sometimes. You know what I'm saying? But what I want to point out is that Eli didn't act. All right. He knew what was going on with his sons. He knew what his sons were doing. He rebuked them. But by that time, it was far too late. Okay. He needed to have dealt with his sons way before it got to that point. I mean, let's be honest. He should have removed them from the positions that they were in and basically kicked them out of the temple, okay? Why? Because, first of all, they knew what they were doing was wrong, okay? And we'll talk about, talk about that a little bit, a little, later, uh, a little further along in the sermon. But they knew what they were doing was wrong, but they, and they did it anyway. And then after their father talked to them, they still continued to do it. And Eli still, he just didn't do anything, okay? And if he had, he might have been able to save his son's lives if he had acted when the stuff began to, at, at the beginning that was with the greed and they wanted the first, pizza, uh, first choice of the meats. Okay? I think there's a powerful lesson there because as Christians, I think sometimes we have a tendency to turn a blind eye to sin. Okay? And not just so much in our own lives, but in the lives of other people. 
And that could be because, uh, like me, I'm not a, not a big person on confrontation. And when you begin that process of trying to address somebody that's got sin in their lives, what happens? Do they take it real well? Not usually, okay? And so I understand that in Timothy it says that we are to what? Have a, not, not to have a spirit of what? Fear, right? But sometimes it's just, it's just easier just to turn and just not deal with it and hope it goes away. And that's not what happens. Sin doesn't just go away when you just turn your, turn your back on or blind eye to it, right? What happens? It continues to grow. Okay, unless that sin is addressed and amends are made, it just continues to grow. And so I think sometimes we just turn and say, well, I'm just not going to deal with it. And I do the same thing when I, as a parent. When my kids disobey, and in my mind sometimes I'm trying to decide if it's really worth the effort to get up and try to handle it. All right? Now, does that usually work? No, because usually then it just compounds to a bigger problem. All right? So, but I want to be careful with this too, because at the same time, I think we have to be very careful that when we do confront somebody who has sin in their life, we do it in the appropriate way, okay? Because if you just, like I said, I want to be careful. Because you want to do it in such a way that has some love in it. Because if you're just going to slam these people, you're not going to, you're not going to accomplish anything. They're just going to turn and walk away. And so we have to be careful when we are addressing these people so that we're saying only the things the Lord wants us to say. Does that make sense? And so we understand that the Lord has told us, and we feel like the Lord has led us to say something, but the way we say it is extremely important. Okay? Now, in Eli's case, it was pretty cut and dry. We, from looking at it from his perspective, he should have handled those sons in a much different way. And it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty laid out what he should have done. He should have kicked them out, been done with them, and moved on, unfortunately. Now, I say that like that's something that I completely understand. Now, if I was in that position and those were my sons, it might be difficult too, because you also have to understand that Eli was old, very old. And so he couldn't do all of the priestly duties that he needed to do without the help. And so to kick his sons out meant that he would have to do more work. Okay. And so it was tough for him to do that. And, uh, but the rebuke came too late. He missed his opportunity. He didn't act. He saw the sin in his kids' life. He didn't do anything about it. Okay? He rebuked them once. They didn't listen. And what did it lead to? It lead to the death and the, the priestly duties being ripped from him. Okay? Now, I've always been impressed with Eli because when God told him what was going to happen, he didn't scream or he didn't yell about it. He just said, so be it. So he understood what was going on, and he understood that part of these, these, the reason from this sin, these were the consequences that he's going to have to live with, and he understood why, okay? And also as part of the consequence of that is that his future descendants were going to have shorter lifespans. And it was interesting as I was reading through the commentaries that somebody actually did some research and found a family line that most of the people didn't live over 18 years of age. Guess whose line it was? Eli's, okay? So, Sin can be transferred to further generations too, which we're going to talk about that too. So if we don't act, God will, okay? God gave Eli multiple times to try to fix the problem. He didn't fix it. God handled it, okay? And I think sometimes we forget that, that if we don't handle a situation, God can handle it himself. And sometimes when he handles it, (laughs) it's going to be a lot worse than if we had made corrections to begin with. Okay, so 
And why is that convicting to me? Because as a parent, when I look at my sons, are there things that I need to be training into them so that I don't have this similar situation happen? Okay. Am I turning a blind eye to sins in their life that I need to work on or sins in my own life that I need to work on so they don't transfer to him? Okay. So it was just convicting to me. So I sat down and I started thinking, okay, what are some things I need to work on? What are some things I need to bring before the Lord again so that this type of situation doesn't happen to me? Uh, you, you know, uh, while I was sick, uh, there was one day there where I didn't, I didn't move from bed. It was that bad. And uh, as I was uh, trying to find something to keep myself occupied, I ran into that old Western uh, Lonesome Dove series. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it. It's an older one. It's like five hours. I watched all five hours of it. Okay. Shows you how productive I was that day. But in it, and I thought it fit perfectly with what I was talking with this, uh, talking about this morning. Is in it there are there are three main characters. They were all Texas Rangers, so they all knew the laws and so forth. The youngest one decided to fall in with the wrong crowd. Okay, and when he fell in with the wrong crowd, he was he didn't murder anybody. He didn't steal any horses, but he was with those people that did. Now, when his two friends, the older Rangers, caught up with him. Just because he was part of the group was enough for them to hang him. Does that make sense? And that was tough to me because as you watch, you understand that he really didn't do anything wrong, but yet he was guilty by association. Okay? And instead of letting him off like Eli did with his sons, nah, they, they took care of the problem and they hung him anyway. I just thought that was, that was, I'm not sure I could have done that. And then as I was looking at this, I thought, man, that's kind of the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Instead of Eli handling the problem like he should have, it just compounded and got worse. Okay? And if we don't act, God will. And this is not the first time that this has happened in the Bible, where people have failed to act, and then God steps in and takes care of things. And usually, when he steps in, it's, it's, it's bad. People are uh, taken away into slavery, you know, kingdoms are moved around, that type of thing. You know what I'm saying? Where if they had just acted and got rid of the sin to begin with, the outcome would have been different. So the second thing I want us to pull from this that I think is extremely important is you can see that sin and its consequences can be passed on to further generations. Now, as a parent, this scares me to death. Okay? And this was one of those parts that just really made me sit down and start doing some thinking. Okay, if we go to uh, the 30th verse there in, in chapter 2. It says, Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promised that the members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age. And you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Every one of you that I, don't, that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. So because of the sins of his sons, 
is going to be passed on to the rest of the descendants. Now, as a parent, like I said, that scares me to death. Are there things in my life that I am passing on to my kids that are going to have consequences because I haven't dealt with those problems? Now, like I said, the commentary said that all in all, if you really look at it, Eli was not an ungodly person. He was a godly person. They said, though, that what was getting him was that the meat that the sons were taking, he was also eating. So therefore, what? He was guilty because he was not holding up to the standard that he should. Because if you look in one of those verses, was it, what did it describe Eli as? A fat man. Okay? Now, according to... Now, according to the commentaries, if he was eating the pieces like he should have been according to what was laid out for the priest to do, that should not have happened. So he was taking the good pieces and more than he should, and so therefore he was what? Mm -hmm. He's being greedy. So therefore he was also sinning. And those sins were then passed on to his descendants, to his kids, which then was passed on to their kids, and so forth and so on. Now, I'd like to say that this is one of those things that has only happened in this particular moment in the Bible, but it's not. You can find multiple stories in the Bible of people whose consequences for their sins were passed on to future generations. Let me give you just a couple. Uh, one, of, one of the very basic ones that came right to mind that affected us was Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve decided to sin, eat from the tree that they weren't supposed to, and what happened? Okay? So consequences for those sins were passed on. Now, I'm not saying that if Adam and Eve hadn't eaten from it that I wouldn't have. Okay? But in this instant, those consequences were passed on to future generations. What about Cain after he killed his brother Abel? Did God just let that go? No. No. Now, it's pretty much, it probably would have been better for that man if he had never been born. Okay? But once again, consequences for those sins of killing his brother were passed on to his many, many, many descendants. Okay? Achan, after the Battle of Jericho, he took a bunch of stuff there when he wasn't supposed to. Joshua found out about it. Did they just drag him out and stone him, or what did they do? They drug his entire family out. And, and stoned him. Not only that, they drug out his donkeys and his cows and everything else, too. Okay? Your sins can be passed on to future generations, the consequences for those sins. Now, like I said, as a parent, that scares me to death. What am I passing on to my kids? And most people, if you look at their families, they have generational sins. And it's interesting to see when somebody in the family finally breaks those habits. The family all of a sudden starts to go in a different direction. Okay? I mean, it's just, it's amazing to me. But if you look, there are generational sins that you see in, see in families. And it's up to somebody to break those cycles so that things can go in a different direction. Okay? Consequences for sins can be passed on. You know, in... What my dad has always told me is what the parents uh, allow, the children will embrace. Okay? So, like I said, convicting. 
I sat down and had to do a little bit of meditating and asked the Lord, hey, what are some things I need to work on to make sure that I am, I'm giving my kids and my church family the best that I can? All right? And the Lord and I are working on some things. Because like always, he always manages to find a few things. I don't know if that's just the way it works for you. It works for me. You ask the Lord, hey, what do I need to work on? Here's a list. So away we go. Okay? But we have to be careful because our sins don't just affect us. They can affect future generations. All right? And all in all, what does that mean? Sin is nothing to mess around with. Okay? You may think you get away with it, but you don't. All right? Okay. Real good. Feel good ser- sermon, right? <clears throat> Lastly, and I think this is, uh, this is also kind of, uh, was also convicting to me as well. We have to be careful as Christians because we are called to a higher calling or standard, if you will. Eli knew what was happening and he did nothing. He knew that it was wrong and he continued to do it anyway. If you go to the second chapter, 27th verse, it says, Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors when they were in Egypt and under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestors out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar and to burn incense and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offer an offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Did Eli know what he was doing was wrong? Absolutely. And he continued to do it anyway. And that's, I think, where the main problem and the harshness of the discipline that came is because it wasn't just one offense that Eli was doing. He continued to do it even when he knew what he was doing was wrong. Now, I think the same goes for us. As Christians, we are held to a higher standard. And I think God expects certain things from us. All right? Now, if somebody out there who's lost doesn't know, it's a little bit different. But we as Christians, we have the Bible, we study the Bible, we know what we're supposed to do, and yet we choose to do things our own way. I understand this concept. Why? Because I'm a father. What nothing irritates me more when I'm dealing with my children than when I have told them to do things a certain way a hundred times, and they know it, and they do what they want to anyway. That's when my patience becomes really tested. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like you know what you're supposed to do, and yet you decide not to do it. Or better yet, I tell one child that they're not supposed to do that, but it doesn't apply to the other children. That's my favorite. Okay? You know you're not supposed to do it, and you do it anyway. We do the same thing with God. We know what we're supposed to do, and yet in our selfish, sinful ways, we decide to do the opposite. And in the end, we think we're going to get away with it, but we don't. Now, let me give you, let me give you a couple verses here. Just to solidify in your mind the fact that we are called to a higher standard. Okay? 
we're called to a higher calling. The Lord expects greater things from us because we are one of His. Uh, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God that is good, acceptable, and perfect. So we're what? Called to not be conformed to this world. Okay? We've got a different standard of living. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. We're called to live according to a different standard. James 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that won't keep you up at night, especially for someone like me, okay? Because if I mess up, I'm going to have it a little stricter. Luke 12, 48. But the one who did not show, or the one that did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they've entrusted much, they will demand the more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we are Christians, there are certain things that will be demanded of us. So, bring it all together. The three things that I want you to take from the sermon is, first of all, if we don't act, we see sin, and we turn a blind eye to it, God will act. Okay? We want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to make sure that we're handling those sin, especially in our own life. Okay? Second of all, we want to make sure that uh, we're looking at our own life to make sure that we are not passing on consequences for our sins. Okay? We want to make sure that when we look at our life, that we're getting rid of those sins in our life so that we are not crippling the future generations that come after us. Like I said, as parent is be as a parent, that's this one was really important to me. Because I want to give my kids the best opportunity that they can. I don't want to be the one that impedes them or slows them down. Now I understand that at some point a child has to make their own decisions. I get that. But I want to do everything I can in my power to make sure that I am passing on the best of what I have and not the garbage. And lastly, I want us to understand that we are held to a higher calling. And woe to us, the judgment and the consequences that will be, because we know what we're supposed to do, and we don't do it. Like I said, Eli is a great example of things you don't want to do. Okay? But it's just amazing to me how even the Lord can just, just having a basic Bible story reading with your kids can begin to get can begin to convict you and make you want to go back and do some more study and say, Lord, where are some things I need to work on? All right? And I hope that if, as convicting as it was for me, it's convicting for you, and it causes you to take a pause and maybe think about some things. All right? Let's don't be like Eli. Let's don't turn a blind eye. 
Let's do what we know we're supposed to do. And let's make sure we get rid of those sins in our life. Like I said, nothing you haven't heard before, right? But when you look at it from Eli's perspective and the consequences that followed, yeah, it puts a little more um, emphasis on it, doesn't it? All right. Thank you so much for being here. Let's pray. Dearly Father, once again, we are just grateful for this time. And Lord, we are your people, Lord. We want to act like your people. Lord, we want to get rid of the sin that is in our life so that we're not tripping ourselves up or the people coming after us. Lord, we don't want to turn a blind eye to sin. We don't want to pass on the consequences of our sin to other people, Lord, whether it be our own family or our church family. And then lastly, Lord, we want to understand that we are held to a higher calling. And Lord, we need to live our life in such a way that honors you so that people in the lost world can, can see a difference and understand why we do what we do. So Lord, thank you for these opportunities, these examples that we have before us, Lord, and the truths that we can glean from them. So Lord, I just ask that as we start a new week, that these will be on our mind and on our heart, Lord, and will cause us to stop and think for just a moment of some things that we need to get right with you. Lord, once again, it's great to be in your house. In your name, amen.